House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. So now today we're going into paranormal, and uh, we have a great guest, and uh, she's and she's written a great book. Uh, it's um, it's called Portal, and it's a lifetime of paranormal experiences, and it came out December of last year. And uh, so she's sitting with us, and she's going to tell us a little bit about the book and the experiences. And we've got um, Adele Casellas Roca. Rocha. Rocha. <laughs> I'm learning. So welcome to the show. Hi, Alan. Hi, Julie. I'm very happy to be here. So um, let's, let's start out. First of all, um, now, what got you into the paranormal period like how did you get involved into this enough where you're writing a book and and doing interviews well alan that's a very long story but um you know to try to make it as brief as possible um i was born in the 60s and in the neighborhood that i lived in happened to be in the philippines um i lived in a little town that is approximately about um uh, i would say 50 miles outside of manila uh, at the time, it was a very sleepy little suburb. There was no traffic. Um, it had all sorts of things going on, as in good things, you know, that there were a lot of commerce. Uh, we were getting a lot of goods from Europe. Um, to just preface all this, to so as not to confuse the audience, the Philippines is strategically in the center of the Pacific Rim. And what I mean by that is it's right next to China, below Japan, and Thailand is kind of like by its feet. Um, Australia is probably about a four or five hour flight right below. Uh, so when you're thinking about the hub of Asia, the Philippines is right in the center of that. That is important to remember in terms of its cultural um, backdrop. The Philippines was occupied by the Spanish from Spain for 400 years. Uh, at that point, there was a lot of commerce coming from Europe. And Julie, you coming from the UK, uh, yes. we had a lot of goods coming from uh, anywhere from biscuits to uh, jackets to even the vehicles, the uh, Range Rover and things of that nature. We mm -hmm. also got cars from um, France, from Italy. We, we had goods from all over Europe because of the connection with Spain. Okay, now that's just my digressing into something. So I should just give you a, a cultural backdrop to that. At the close of that, entering into the late 1930s, we, as Europe did, encountered World War II. And during that time, um, there were massacres. On our end, it was the Japanese. In Europe, it was the Germans. Um, it, it was uh, obviously havoc. Uh, there was a lot of people who were fleeing for their lives as far as the civilians. Uh, and being a very small country, you could just imagine the immediate effect uh, on the country at large. Um, we have neighbors, and it, it, I'm walking through the book through three generations of a family. But at the same time, I've also interspersed stories from people who have encountered ghosts and demonic beings, as well as cryptids um, and uh, actually aliens, UFOs, and things of that nature. Because I tend to travel. Since I've moved to the States, I've been traveling since 1982, and it's all for leisure. 
So the book is an amalgamation of a family's experience through a demonic influence. At the same time, also eyewitness reports of people that I've encountered through those years that I've traveled. I've, at this point, traveled through 26 different countries. So some of them, of course, is just a regular vacation. I really didn't get to talk to anyone about anything paranormal or ufologically bent. Uh, but for some of them, it became a very interesting, not just photographing, since I do travel photography, but also talking to the local people, uh, you know, which is the best way to really visit a foreign country. But my interest, sta- my interest started because of the neighborhood that I was in. Because after World War II, when houses started to come up again, people started getting on with their lives. Then we start seeing the unquiet. What is the effect of um, an uproar, a, a, you know, a chaos and something so traumatic is a world war on the local people. Not just on the people that were there, but also on the soldiers that were killed as a result of the war. And what you're seeing in this book is the ghostly apparitions, um, you know, hauntings, uh, the activity that happens when you have numerous tragedies in one space and time in a particular area. Hmm. Do, do you find, um, coming from the Philippines, how is the paranormal perceived over there, ghosts and all that? How do they how do they accept it or not accept it or how is it compared to let's say the US or Canada or England or something? Uh, I, I think that in, in terms of cultural understanding it probably is closest to the way England uh, accepts it or sees it um, because we're also an old country um, you know for instance the US is only about 200 some odd years um, I know it's been through a civil war but it's never been through a war that is of such a large magnitude that it would lose millions of people. Um, and so what happens is when you, when you create havoc of such a scale that it is so evil, the aftermath never leaves you. Um, and with the Filipino people, because they are 99.9% Roman Catholic, they accept the existence of ghosts. They accept... Um, because they see them, they encounter them a lot um, in the houses they reside in. Um, it, you know, there are homes there that were built in the 1700s and were left standing, and you know, some were re- renovated. You know, still lived in. Uh, people rarely move to different areas, so generations of families lived in the same house and have seen a lot of things. So they do accept it. They know it's real when they talk about demonic or ghostly influence. Um, what they're not so accepting of is if it's something like, you know, from a different planet, for example, uh, a humanoid or an alien. That one is a little bit more different because they haven't had as many encounters of that, or at least their interpretation is not that it's alien. Their interpretation usually is that whatever it is, if it's bad, it's a you know, demonic infestation, if it's good, maybe it is an angel or even God. So, so Adele, the book's about 
really your your family and your journey and your understanding of different cultures and beliefs and people's experiences it is to an extent my family it's also um a lot of stories that come uh from me from people that i have talked to and encountered just by being there at the right place and the right time um i i think it's interesting that somehow when you are interested in something in particular like attracts like and so the people who have the same or similar experience are drawn to you because they know you will be more accepting of what they have to tell you you you're going to be less critical and more open about it and they're seeking um answers they're seeking to understand that they're heard and that maybe there's an explanation for why you know or whatever it is that they saw and do you think that um i suppose at what point in your journeys in your travels did you fully believe in the existence of the paranormal and what what elements of the paranormal did you first believe in so um was your first early experiences and validations around um ghost apparitions or was it more about ufo's or bigfoot or where where was your your real kind of first anchoring into your belief system Julie I would have to say that because I have been exposed to ghosts uh and homes that are infested uh by demonic beings and you know all of the those things that we can't explain that are uncanny it would have to be those first the ufo's came later i think i was about probably 13 or 14 years old i was actually already here in the us um when a story came my way about an elderly woman who actually saw a ufo over the roof of their house um and and because i was open already to the alternate reality theories and have an understanding that not everything we see feel or hear is the only reality i was receptive to that but i didn't really completely get immersed in ufology until i actually probably about a couple of years before i joined mufon and um what was your early um What's your experience with UFOs that led you to believe that? Uh I I think that a lot of it Julie has to do with whether I wanted to I I wanted to believe that they were from another world because I refused to I I cannot believe we're the only ones here. I cannot okay, so believe with yes. So I uh, you know when when you look at that the, the uh, panoply of life that is out there and how large and immense the universe is I I just cannot understand why people feel we're the only ones here that uh have populated this planet there must be other life forms not just in this solar system but in other galaxies and and there could be if if you believe in multidimensionality um and i have had encounters with those as a child then there must be also multidimensional beings that are not necessarily uh, quote unquote dead but are actually just living in a different plane of existence something very different from ours 
Okay, so that's interesting. So I need to take you back, Adele. So thinking about um, that extra-dimensional um, and the possibility of our extra-dimensional extra um, existences, parallel universes, and um, those kind of theoretical explanations for many things, deja vu, apparitions, um, life journeys. At what point when you were younger did you have an understanding of that and what was the experience that led to it because that's really complex theoretical um hypotheses and many people will rely on i mean there's many we've interviewed lots of different people who have um kind of beliefs that mm -hmm. lead them to believe in those things or there's a scientific element that leads them to believe so what was it for yourself and at such an early age as well okay so i'm going to be a little bit more concrete and more transparent. Um, okay. I've only done this with only one other radio show, and this was back probably about a year ago. Um, because we are primarily talking to the West Coast, I will say this, and I know that people are very open-minded out there. I was probably about two years old when we started to realize that we were living in an infested apartment. And when I say infested, my, mo my father was primarily the person, the focus of the infestation. Um, about three miles outside of my grandmother's house, there is a hamlet. Um, it's called Little Baguio, Baguio, B-A-G-U-I-O. It's kind of a tricky um, name to give. At the time in the 60s, Little Baguio was very much just your little byway. Uh, there was probably one grocery store. There was probably like a little um, corner store for gasoline. And that's about it. But what they did was they started building townhouse apartments, two floor dwellings, you know, with the ground floor and the first floor. Yep. And there was one that was built, and there was probably, I would say, about six residences to eight residences. Not to bore you, I'm trying to give you a setting and a backdrop. Yeah. Um, like I said, I tend to be long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> Behind the apartment is a creek. Uh, and there are sheltering trees that border the creek on both sides. And just a few yards away from that, are the backs of these townhomes where they have huge windows that face out to the creek. So it's actually very lovely because if you rented there, when you walked in, you will see first the living room, and then right from the living room, you will see a huge window that stretches practically all the way to the ceiling. Lovely. And then to your right, you will walk into the kitchen, the foyer, and then the, there's a stairwell. And underneath the stairwell, there's a servant's quarters. And usually, because it's only an apartment, there's only room for one overnight uh, servant. Upstairs, you have three bedrooms. And in the middle of that, there is a den. And uh, my father was a writer. He did it full time, uh, right out of college. On either side of him, one side was the nursery, the other side was the master bedroom. He was the focus of an infestation. At least that is my interpretation of it, 
although at some point I thought maybe it was a thought form, which would mean he manufactured it out of his own mind. Um, but no one else believes that but me. Um, so can you, it just, went can you just explain to our UK listeners what you mean by infestation? Because that's not, um, actually, that's not a term that we would normally use here in the UK in paranormal. Okay. So when, when I talk about someone who is in the stages of possession, uh, there's usually three phases of that, and I'm not an authority by any means. Um, you know, this is only through books that I have read. Um, and, and please, I stand corrected if, if you, you know, if you know better, please do tell me. Um, my father was a very depressed man. He had been depressed for a while. No one really knows the nature of where that began. A lot of people felt that it began because of this being or this entity that kept visiting him at nightfall. Um, it got to the point where it was influencing his mind, his mood, so that he became more progressively depressed. Uh, he got to the point where his writing was affected. He was writing a lot of poetry, and it turned very dark. So it started to permeate his mind, and he felt at some point it was trying to take his soul, and that if he went to sleep, it would take him. That, to me, is an infestation because it's like it's, it's affecting the lifestyle. It's affecting the thinking. Uh, it mm-hmm. becomes an obsession, uh, and then at some point it becomes an obsession, which is the next stage. He obsesses over the being. Uh, it becomes the focal point of his life, and then the last would be possession. Um, hopefully we never got to possession. I don't think we did. But during the time that he was in residence in the apartment, I was the infant next door. Okay. So, okay, I'm getting my head around this. Um, okay, Julie. So, so, um, so you would have been experiencing... Um, the dynamics in the family home around this possession. And at what age were you told about this as being um, an infestation or a possession as opposed to dad's not well because he's got a mental health or a d- depressive episode? Or At what point were you introduced to that as a concept? It's, it's interesting how it evolved, Julie, because I did not even know that he had passed away. Um, months and several months into it and you know from the book how he passed Uh, he uh, apparently would not be admitted to the Roman Catholic Church because the priest felt because of the cause of his death that he could not be entered there or viewed there and he could not be buried on holy ground Um, this is just the the idea you know of the Mm -hmm. culture because of the demonic influence, and and that is what the priest called it. Who told me finally and sat down with me, I did not know until I was close to four years old. But the interesting part about it is all this time when people were couching their words around me very, very carefully, I knew exactly what had happened to him. And I can't explain how I know. Um, to this day, I, when I went into kindergarten, people would ask me, how come your father never picks you up from school? How come it's always your mother, your grandmother, your uncle, etc., etc.? And I would tell them the truth, that he slashed his wrists. I told them the truth. 
and no one ever told me that until finally I was in first grade and one of the parents called my mother and said, do you know your daughter is friends with mine and she's been telling her this is what happened to her father. Very powerful. So my mother was appalled. Uh, I came home from school to find she was there in the living room sitting with my grandmother and the rest of the family. I walked in and I thought maybe someone else had passed away because they just had a look on their face. And my grandmother approached me and she asked me, you know, your friend, her mother called us and told us what you have been telling her. And I turned white as a sheet and all the hair started standing on the, my arms. And my grandmother said, you know, he had emphysema. So they still did not tell me. So, Julie, I will tell you when I finally had verification. And this is the first time I'm going to tell this on the air. Are you ready for it? We are. You don't sound ready. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'm, okay. I'm intrigued. I'm okay, so. Intrigued. This is fascinating. So, Julie, when I went to college and I stayed in the U.S., okay, we emigrated to the U.S., I went yeah. to the a college, and then I was, uh, I think I was 17 at the time. My mother, who was still a widow, she had not remarried, she said, I think it's time to go home and visit. So we jumped on the plane, you know, it was a 21-hour flight with, mm -hmm. you know, overnights, and you know how that is. Um, and then I get there, and my father's grandfather invites us for dinner. And... This is the home they've been living in where the children were raised, where my father still has his bedroom. So we get there around, you know, you know, we eat late. Around 7 we were there, and my mother was with me, and my father's uh, brother, who was very close to him at that point, was married, and his wife was there. I'd never met his wife before. So we were sitting in the huge dining area. There were... 11 children. My father's family had 11 children. So picture this huge, long dining room, and the servants are running all over the place because they had not been told there was going to be guests for dinner, and they're over in the pantry and killing chickens and the whole mayhem. Meanwhile, my, my aunt-in-law, okay, my father's brother's wife that I had not met, shut the door so we could have some privacy. And then we sat down at this huge table, and she proceeded to take out some photographs. Bear with me. Bear with me. Mm -hmm. As she is leaving, leaving through the photographs, she comes upon a piece of paper. And this is in the book. She takes the paper and puts it right in front of me with my mother sitting on the one side, the grandfather sitting on the other, keenly watching my face. And she says, oh, by the way, she said, I found your father's death certificate. Here it is. I think you should have it. Wow. I look down on it, Julie. Julie, I'm telling you the truth. I am telling you the truth. I looked down on it, and it was exactly as I envisioned. How, how, how did you make sense of that? 
Okay, so let me tell you what happened in the next few seconds after it all came together that all those years since I was a young child I had known. We were sitting in a huge room. One side had all windows. They were all shut. They were shut because we didn't want the mosquitoes. We didn't want, you know, whatever, flies. We were preparing for dinner. Suddenly, all the hairs in the back of my head started to stand. My arms, I was shivering. The room temperature plummeted. And then all the windows, all the windows opened simultaneously and about a million cockroaches assailed the room. So we all stood up. And the servants came in with brooms and splice waters trying to get rid of whatever this was that just suddenly came in. That's horrid. And we were running up the stairs to the second floor to get away from them. They were swatting them, hitting them on the floor. We, you know, some of the food had already been brought out. It was still covered. They took the food away. And then suddenly, as fast as it began, they all disappeared. Just spontaneously disappeared. And what was the reaction of your family? Well, I mean, I I had just met this woman. <laughs> she <laughs> looked at me and my mother said, she didn't know. And the woman said, I am so sorry. And she had, she could not believe what was happening and I had the epiphany of finally getting validation that all those years I knew and my grandfather he was clutching his chest like he was going to have a heart attack so a young age all of those things have now happened Mm-hmm. How did you still make sense of that? Because as a young person, that is, an, on the one hand, it's an amazing experience. And on the other hand, that's very scary. Oh, yes. So how did, how did you, and with the support of your family, make sense of it for you to be able to then go further into your adolescence and explore more about the paranormal? I didn't have much family support. Right. And okay. it, 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 was, it was one of those things, and, and the style of my family is to kind of sweep it under the rug. So my mother was like, should we just go out to eat? Like as if nothing happened. Should we just go out to eat because now the food might be spoiled and there's things on the, t- you know, the wow. whatever, that were killed. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, I'm not making light of it by laughing, but that was the reaction. And my grandfather said, oh, and then we'll just come back for ice cream. So uh, my uncle, you know, was looking down at this letter, and he said, you know, I can't believe, I can't believe that happened. He was the only one who actually articulated that, and I'm just looking at him. Because I'm taking it all in, Julie. I mean, what what do you say? 
you'd be speechless. You just wouldn't understand it. You wouldn't. It no. Would be so confusing. No. Part of me was like, I, I'm settled. Now I understand that it's true. But how did I know? I don't remember. Was there anything else around that time that made you feel that the reaction, the windows opening, the, the change of temperature? Did you feel like your dad was there? Sometimes I do believe that he is. Um, I will tell you an instance when I was, I think I was about maybe six at the time. Um, I was in my grandmother's nursery because, you know, after he passed away, my mother and I moved to my grandmother's house. And that house itself had a lot of spirits, and they're not positive. Um, I was in the nursery alone, and all these things happen at nightfall. Okay, so, you know, the, the light is protection, obviously, and a lot of noise is protection. At night, it's silent and it's dark. And I was sitting by the windowsill, and I could have sworn that right outside he was out there. But he is not accompanied by anything positive. It's always a sense of dread. And what do you think the purpose of that would be? Because um, I, for, I for one, and I'm, and I'm totally respectful of your of your views and your beliefs, as I am. Sure. Everybody. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I am really reserved and hesitant when we talk about demonic beings and um, evil encounters and the feeling of dread. And and after having many experiences over many many years, mm -hmm. I have never um, felt to be in a position that I'm not able to control or be, be out of. So having not had that type of experience personally, I struggle to understand it. Mm -hmm. So so what would be the purpose of a man that you loved coming back with that feeling of dread to his child? And Julie, I don't know. The, the only thing I wonder about is because... The grief on my mother's end is unresolved. The family has never openly talked about him. It has always been swept under the rug. So I think part of it is he is asking maybe perhaps to be recognized for what he had done. But he is also telling us that maybe he's not in a good place because of what he chose to do that he gave in to whatever it was. That's the only thing I can think of. I mean, of course, I, I welcome other explanations. Um, Have you thought of that? Because you've had so many different experiences. You know, this uh, certainly um, this line of questioning is not to, to teach you to, um, to suck eggs, for want of a better phrase. You, you know this stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's about, I guess, it's, what have you what have you done to to find out the questions and the answers to your questions because through life we we, we find um, ourselves in situations that we just don't know the answer to and, and we we reach out to different people and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, a I'm a firm believer that we are put in situations that we need to be in and uh, and we will find the person or the the resolve that we need because mm -hmm. we're meant to 
So what did you do about it to, to try and understand? Have you visited mediums? Have you, have you explored that avenue? Have you had messages yourself? Well, Julie, I, I think that's a great question to ask because I've done a myriad of things. Not so much necessarily connected to what happened to him per se or why the things that happened to him happened to him as opposed to the lesson that it brings forward to us about the afterlife and the struggle between good and evil because I personally encountered uh, evil. I also then become, became privy to encountering good. And because now it's very, very clear to me um, all those things that they, you know, abstractly explain biblically, okay, with the archangels having a battle in heaven between good and evil, trying to capture souls and trying to, you know, all these things that we talk about, Dante's Inferno, they've become very real to me that there is, in fact, I believe, an actual battle that is being waged between good and evil, between forces that are not within our control. I believe that. And I believe that some people on the planet are more easily corrupted than others. I believe that some are strong enough to stand up to them and some are not. It just so happened my father perhaps was not strong enough and he was a good person. So does your belief system equate the battle of good and bad in, in, um, in terms of biblical sense to, to every individual scenario? So to every would, instance? Would, yeah, because would it, would it not be conceivable that, that, I mean, if I looked at it in a totally different way, and forgive me, because again, I mean absolutely no um, malice whatsoever, but if, if we're thinking your, your father was troubled and he felt that actually things had come to a head and he wasn't able to control and live life in the way that he wanted to anymore and so could not continue... Would that have to be a battle between good and bad? Or is that just about somebody who's not able to cope in that moment? There's two different theories about that. And I was trained, actually, as a therapist. Yeah. So we have, we have conflicting points of view. And, of course, my bend does not deny the religious underpinnings of someone's illness mm -hmm. when someone is troubled and someone uh, feels a conflict between what they want and what is happening to them. Yeah. I always give it two reasons. One is a spiritual challenge for them to be able to find the meaning in the message to be able to reconcile why something, a situation, is producing stress and conflict. The other one is just maybe making the right choices in order to reconcile the conflict. So one is more ephemeral and the other one is more, more practical. In the case of my father, I think 
what has happened, and this is just through the years as I think it through. He was a man who was very sensitive. And as he was growing up, there were things that were impacting him as an individual that other people would shrug off. I was told he was just a very, very sensitive person and very introspective. But because of that, what impacted him, he internalized and eventually he became depressed. And here's my theory. When you have a mood and you continue to have it for a number of years, a number of, you know, several months, and I'm not talking just the passing sadness, I'm talking clinical depression, I think you draw energies to you that feed on that. You know, every time we fear something, if it's for a survival value and it's a real fear, like an imminent plane crash, that's fine. But when you're fearing something and the fear has become so obsessive, you're drawing negative energies to you. And in the same manner, when you're joyful and you see the bounty and you see the glass is always half full as opposed to half empty, you draw positive energies to you. And it's all intention because we're in a field. We send energy out there. And the energy we send draws back to us the energy we want. Like, I want you to ask these questions, and now you're asking them, Julie, because I sent the energy. And Alan contacted me. I mean, there, there are some things, of course, it was just an email, etc., etc., but, but, but there's nothing coincidental, you see. That's my belief. It's that, um, I mean, if we if we put that in very much layman's terms and back to basics, it's smile and the, and the world will smile with you. Right. And, 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 if, and if you don't, it won't. And I think, um, so trying, trying to understand from those early days, you've had this experience, you've understood that you, you've, kind, you've got it. There's, there's been some sort of communication that's helped you understand your father's passing without you being told that formally in the physical sense. Yes. How did you then progress that? Have you have you thought about progressing that as a gift so you were able to communicate at some level with some something to understand that? Or was I, your... Go on, go sorry. Well, I would say that it made me more open to things like astral projection, It made me more open to try to think about how to connect with spirits. And I don't mean an Ouija board or anything like that. Um, I I was even reading about remote viewing and things of that nature. Things a normal teenager would not be reading about. Um, and, And because I sent out that intention and that energy, of course... There were people along the way that came. I mean, I did meet a few mediums, you know. I actually even met a medium who did past life readings. Um, and, and I'm a proponent of reincarnation. I'm not embarrassed to say that. I do believe we've been here for a lot of times. And when someone is afraid to pass away, you know, I think you've been through this. You just don't remember and then you'll be back again. So I delved in that as a teenager. I looked through all these different books. It, a lot of books have passed my way for me to give meaning and understanding. And I have some very, very vivid dreams. 
And in some of those, I have connected with quite a few people who have passed. Um, I have no proof, of course. I mean, it could just be my wishful thinking. It, it could just be, you know, it is a dream. No one can really explain. Do, do you feel that your experiences and your collection of, of other people's experiences have informed your belief system now, or do you think your belief system has always been as it is? No, it's evolved. It's evolved according to the people that I've met. It's shaped it. It's changed it. Um, it's made me a more benevolent person. Um, it's actually made me very positive. Um, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, I always think to myself, but everything is all right because the universe takes care of it. So would you say that your your experiences and hearing other people's stories has made you believe more in fate? I would say so, yes. But it's also, you know, when you believe in a God, you also have to believe in the devil because the nature of reality dictates you have to have, you know, negative and positive in order for things to exist. And something as simple as our, our eye movements, you know, our eyes are constantly moving and shifting from negative to positive in order for us to be able to see in three dimensions. So I understand that as a fundamental truth of the universe in that we have to have negative and positive energy in order for things to remain as they are. And so, I mean, I, I don't... I don't um plan on talking particularly about your religious beliefs because I, okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not always um, sure how helpful that is actually to be personally open about, about that. But um, one of the things I was thinking about, when we think of a God, we think of something that's more powerful than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we, feel, we think of something, no matter who your God is, whatever the name is, um, my particular belief is it doesn't really matter what we call the God. Mm -hmm. That's right. It's something. It is something more powerful than, than ourselves that we look up to, aspire to. Yes. And it doesn't really matter what we call it. It's the same principle. And if we all believed in that same principle, it would be really good and helpful. So um, so when we're, we're thinking about a God, um, where does our understanding of um, ufology, aliens, um, and uh, you, you mentioned humanoids, how, how does how does that center in your understanding of your your particular belief? Truly, it fits. It, it it all fits, because what we have is a God who not just created us, but has been so creative and so powerful that it is mind-boggling how much He has created that are is beyond our vision, beyond our ability to understand. That it is multidimensional and it is so vast that you don't even know where the edge of the universe is. And it comes in so many levels of existence and such a myriad of beings that, you know, we're only touching the surface. We're probably only seeing one forty-eighth of reality because we are on the lower end of the spectrum. We're only in three dimensions. So it makes sense to me um, how aliens travel here. You know, way past the speed of light, that, that is all quantum physics. That's not even Newtonian physics. Um, and, and, and that is the God particle. So it makes sense. There is no conflict between religion 
or science. And at what point in our evolution do you think that um, the alternate universes or um, galaxies or experiences as in UFOs were created? At what point are we there? At what point were they created? How, how if we had a timeline of, of our, our religious understanding, wh when would that, that have come into the fore? Julie, neither knew, you nor I would know. And I, if, if I could tell you right now, I would not be sitting here. Well, I don't know about that, but I, uh, I, that is a, a, not a question for me. That, that is a question for someone who is much, much higher than any of us and probably much, much higher than anyone who is listening right now. Um, th that is a, uh, that's a priceless question. And I think in the end, we all will find out. Um, and it should be very, very interesting. What would you say was one of the um, the most frightening or scary experiences paranormally that you've had? I would say the one that has scared me the most, and this is from a first-person account because I was, you know, probably about 11 at that point. I was in my grandmother's house, and there was a being that was out in the backyard. And we had two servants at the time, my grandmother did, and one came dashing in, totally terrified, because she was trying to feed the cats. The cats were restricted to the outside of the house. And what she saw was something that I will never forget. And apparently, whatever it was, had they dug up his bones, he was buried in the backyard. The house that my grandmother lived in uh, was a house that was built on an unofficial burial ground for the Japanese soldiers. Okay. But it was a gaunt man with red eyes that was very, very angry that was sitting on his haunches and it was all tattered. He looked like he was starving to death. That same man the next day at twilight was running down the driveway at the side of the house and I happened to be at the open door sitting there and I saw him run and he was wearing these what we call flip-flops in the US yes yes yeah. and he leaped over the gate and the flip-flop caught the edge of the top of the gate so I thought it was a real intruder because there was sound yeah well, my uncle was right outside the gate, and it would have leaped over his head. He would not have missed it. He didn't see anything. He didn't hear anything. I was wow. the only one. And although that was something that unnerved you, because you automatically knew that it wasn't, it wasn't um, in the flesh. It wasn't in our existence. Was there anything that, um, any interaction with him that, that made you fear? It was more visceral. Okay. I mean, I knew that it was not of this world. I was taken aback that it actually was able to make a sound because the slipper hit the gate. 
So the first instinct I had was to stand up and say, I think there was a man that was running from the back to the front. Of course. And my grandmother said, um, did, was he wearing white, like some kind of a long T-shirt that was tattered? I said, yes. Was he really thin, like he had starved? I said, yes. Was his hair cut really, really short? There were marks on it, like he had some kind of disease, I guess. And I said, yes. And she says, oh, yeah, he usually passes by here once a week like that. And then I... And then I knew. Mm, wow, guys. It's been a great conversation. Now, um, we're getting close to the end. Uh, Del, do you have contact information or a website or something people can, can find you on? Well, I can be found on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the name of my dogs, at Fox and Rosanna, and as in and Nancy, Rosanna, R O S. A-N-N-A. I can also be found on Facebook under my name and under Instagram under my name. Okay. And, of course, the book is available on Amazon and all bookstores. We will have that on our website. And, um, you know, so anybody wants to find out more, you know, if they're listening to the show, one click will get you the book. Um, Adele, it's been really, really interesting. Um, Any last words before we go? Um, no, basically the uh, book is available on Amazon, as you mentioned. It is on Kindle and paperback. Uh, I'm in the process of actually collecting more stories from other people, uh, and I plan to get some stories from overseas as well, uh, and that should hopefully you know, be in publication next year. Fantastic. Um, again, the book we're talking about is Portal. It's a lifetime of paranormal experiences and like i said it's right on our website one click thanks again adele thank you thanks adele to find out more about our show guests or to listen to past shows from our archive please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com show is over for now was it as good for you as it was for me well good night This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.